mean, they're jealous and angry, the scriptures have told us. I mean, they're, they're about to kill him. And not just to have him killed, but they're about to throw the stones themselves to kill the man. With their own hands, they're going to take his life. <laughs> that's, that's taking anger to a whole new level, right? That's taking jealousy to a whole new level when you're willing to take the life of someone. So obviously, these two groups of people are in obvious different places. Spiritually, emotionally, every other way. But they both claim to have a relationship with God. I mean, the Sanhedrin is so committed to God's word, to his temple, that they're willing to kill for it. Now, you, you, we might applaud that. But in this case, we can see that it's so wrong, right? Because Stephen is always telling people about his Jesus. How are they going to kill him for that for? Well, just watch. Stephen claims to have a relationship with God that, that calls him to believe. Stephen's relationship with God calls him to follow, to serve, to even testify about Jesus. A message that will lead to his death. And you know what? He's okay with that. He's okay with that. We're back, Marietta, we're on the, I'm on the very first slide, so <clears throat> I can run it from there. Thank you. You got me past the automatic thing that was caught me in a loop and <clears throat> I couldn't get out of. Thank you, Marietta. So they're both claiming to be right, but they're in different places. Like, can they both be right in that moment? I don't see how. Right? I don't see how one can be led by God to testify about Jesus and one can be led to kill anybody who testifies about Jesus. Right? They, can't be, they can't both be right. They can't be. For us as Christians, this is pretty clear which ones are disciples and which ones are not. Right? It's pretty clear which ones are on the side of Jesus and which ones are on the other side. We can tell that because of a principle that I've, I've talked about before and I, I, I'll believe it till, till I'm dead and gone that I want to bring before us again today is, is what you believe determines how you behave. Whatever you believe about anything determines how you behave about that thing. What do I mean? I mean, I mean how, you, how you approach your children, how you treat your kids is determined by what you believe about your kids, right? If you believe they're, they're great and they're perfect little angels, how are you going to treat them? They're so great. Oh, don't you just love them? Right? But if you believe they're a hellion, how are you going to treat them? Right? You're going to treat them different by what you believe about them. Amen? I mean, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. How you approach your work is determined by what you believe about your work. If you believe that, that your work ethic is a true reflection of Christ, then how are you going to approach your work? Completely different, right? Than if you believe your work ethic. If I'm just working by somebody who's just keeping me down... Right? How, how enthused, how motivated are you going to be to work in that case? No. It's, it's obvious what you believe about the gift from God, your marriage, your singleness. What you believe about that determines how you treat the gift that you were given, whether it's your marriage or your singleness. We can see that our beliefs about a thing shape how we treat the thing. is true for every area of our lives, and I believe it is especially true when it comes to the things of faith. I say this because it's our faith. It, it, it's our, the fa our faith is the one thing that has the ability to transform what we think about things. What we believe about, what we believe about Christ, I mean, he renews our mind. He can, he, God, our faith has the ability to transform our thinking about anything. 
about anything. It's our belief about things in our lives. If, if they're not changing, if our belief about something before we knew Christ isn't different than it is now, then let me just say that maybe you're not being transformed by Christ. Maybe you don't have the faith that transforms. It, if you think the same way about things before you were Christian, let me say it again, make sure nobody understands. If you think the same way about things before you were Christian, as you think today, if, if it's not nuanced, if it's not a little different, if it's not more generous, if it's not more gracious, then you may not be being transformed like Paul encourages us to be. Probably most everyone here would say they want a real, a true relationship with God, right? I mean, I, I don't think any of us would say, oh, no, I don't want that. I think all of us would say, oh, I want a true, I want a real relationship with God. That, that's why I'm here, preacher. That's why we, I sang louder when you asked me to sing louder, because I want that. But if I were to ask you, do you trust God this morning? Do you trust God? If you're a confessing Christian, you say, well, of course, of course I trust God. But I know some of you don't trust God very well. I, I know some of us don't trust God very well all the time. Let me rephrase that. Maybe take some heat off of you. Maybe you felt like I was poking you into the chest. But the reality is that, that maybe we, we trust him in a, in a creedal way. We trust him as Lord and as, as our Savior. We trust him as, as the historical faith teaches us, right, that we've always learned to. But you don't trust him in a practical way. Because it can be seen in the way you live your life, in different places, at different times. I see it in my own life as well. I'm not, I'm not being critical of just of, of others. I'm, I'm, I see it in me. And these are indicators that I don't really believe God like I, should, I need to. I don't trust God. Because our behaviors give us away. The way we treat one another gives us away. I mean, look at the Sanhedrin. I mean, they're angry about what God is doing. They're angry. They don't like it. There are a lot of things in, in life that, that we don't like, amen? There are a lot of things that come into our lives that we don't like. Not just my, I mean, I'm hoping I'm not the only one. But there's a lot of stuff that we have to deal with that we don't like. And there are a lot of things. There are a lot of opportunities for each of us to be offended. But oftentimes we respond to offense with criticism. We respond with, with outbursts of anger, of frustration. We respond in that moment with a short temper. In that moment, we don't see marks of discipleship in our lives. But when you look at God's word and the things that, that he would say we are to believe, the things that, that God wants in our lives, I know in that moment of my frustration, of my anger, of my resentment, of all of that, when in that moment, I know that God is there. I know it, but I just choose not to accept it in that moment, right? Isn't that what we do? I mean, like God didn't like go away while I was mad. <laughs> he's still there. God didn't go away when I got frustrated. No, he's still there. I just decided I'm more important right now, Right? I denied my discipleship. If you're part of the Emmaus community, then that's, that's what we say. We, we deny our discipleship. We, we reject Christ. In that moment, we decide not to walk with him. We're going to walk by ourselves. 
maybe it's because you have a prayerless life. Maybe it's because your, your life is filled with anxiety, worrying about tomorrow. Or you, you don't know how else to respond to that frustration. You failed at spending time in his word, getting his word into your heart so that you can respond with his word in those moments. Could be all sorts of things. Whatever it is, the result is that you don't have a relationship with God in that moment. I mean, you, you say you do, but in that moment you don't. You deny it. You'd like to think you do, but the proof is the pudding, as they say, right? When we, when we turn from him. Your life makes it clear that your relationship with God isn't the one that we say we want. So just as we're clear, there's a spectrum of this now. I'm not, it's not black and white. Well, it is black and white, but there's a spectrum of, of where we're at on this, right? There's, there's times when, when you might respond to, to things out of faith, right? And then the next day or a week later, that same thing might happen and we respond to it completely different, right? So there's a, it, it's not just cut and dry, that there's a, there's, there's a, I don't know, there's a scale to it, right? There's a, there's a breadth of our response to these things. We're not, we're living beings. And so we're at different times we might respond in different ways. And one day we might respond very faithfully and one day we're not so faithfully. Why is that? Why is that? Why is there a degree to our closeness with God? Some of us are not anywhere near where we'd like to be with God. Where we'd like to be, I say. Because there's also some of us who are nowhere near where we need to be with God. By that I mean some of us are, are, are lacking our salvation. We're, we're missing that. For some, it is a salvation issue. For others, it's more of a discipleship issue. But the problem is the same. We deny our discipleship. We decide not to walk with God. We want to, walk, we want to go our way. And I trust in, that, in this moment right here today, God is sorting that out in your heart. Which one of these is he talking to me about? Which one are you speaking to me about in this moment, Lord? Because regardless of what camp you're in, there are times when you don't have trust in God the way you ought to have trust in God. And it's evident in the way we live our lives. People see it. I think we can see that in the difference between the Sanhedrin and Stephen very clearly here in this episode. Right? I mean, he's on trial for his life for doing nothing wrong. According to Jesus, he's been accused of blasphemy against Moses and God. He's accused of disrespecting or even slandering Moses. Moses, like Joseph, you, know, you probably you're very familiar with the story of Moses, I'm sure. Like Joseph is seen as a type of Messiah, right? He's a type of Messiah in the Old Testament. He delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians, right? We know he, he led them through the wilderness and led them through the Red Sea. But he also delivered the, the law to the people, establishing them as a nation of Israel. I mean, he was really the one who, who made that happen. Moses, in, in terms of importance, is as close to God as you could get in the Old Testament. I mean, he's essential. So Stephen spent some time here. If you know the story of Moses, he lived 120 years. And his story here in the book of Acts is broken up into three sections, three 40-year pieces. That's the way his life is often described. 
And so today we're going to look at the first 80 years of his life. We're going to try to, if we can get through it <coughs> quickly enough. So I'm going to begin in verse 17. As the time drew near <coughs> for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased, the scripture says. We're in Acts chapter 7. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt. Stephen begins by showing them that they did that he didn't blaspheme against Moses. If anything, he just lifted up the, the facts of Moses, what everybody understood about Moses. <clears throat> that people had been waiting for 400 years. You remember the promise to Abraham? That for 400 years you're going to be in a foreign, nation, a foreign land, and then you're going to come home. So they've been waiting for this. They've been waiting for someone, a, a, a deliverer to show up. I mean, they had everything in place. They had the people. They had the land. They... They were, they were going to have greatness. They were going to be a blessing to everybody. It was time for the people to see their deliverer. It was time. And we have no record of any other Moses types showing up to, to tell Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. We don't know if they're, we have no record of anybody else. So it seems like everybody was waiting for Moses. Everybody was waiting for Moses. They understood the covenant promise that God had made and they were waiting for it. Waiting patiently on God's promises. That's the lesson for us in the church. Our promise. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That God is building his church in the world. In a world that's just as impressive as ancient Egypt. In a world that's just as impressive as Rome, oppressive, not impressive, but oppressive as Rome. God is building his church today. Today, in your midst, slowly, surely, slowly, and surely, God is building his church all around the world. He tells parables, Jesus does, in Matthew 16, 17, 18, about stories of a lost sheep, a lost son, a lost coin, how all those things are, are coming home. All of that is coming home. God is building up something. He's gathering his people. Jesus, and he's using Jesus to do that. And as a matter of fact, today, the church is expanding all around the world. All around the world, the church is expanding. We may feel like, oh, the church is getting smaller. No, it's not. The church is expanding. People are coming to faith in Christ. Don't allow what you don't, don't believe your lying eyes. The church is expanding. So don't worry, but wait on God's promises. Don't worry, but wait on God's promises. Trust Jesus. We're, we're not going to look back. We're going to look forwards. We're going to look forward to what God is going to do. That's what, he's invite, what Stephen is inviting them to do. And I believe what God is inviting us to do. As disciples, we, we look forward. We look forward to what God is going to do. In Matthew 19, Jesus goes on to, to describe to, the, the promise that, he would, that these disciples that he's talking to are actually going to be sitting in judgment of everybody else. These disciples who were being told what to do every, everywhere they went, they could, all the things they couldn't do, Right? Jesus says, but you are going to sit in judgment over everybody. So knowing this, they endured. They continued. When they were falsely accused, they prayed. When, when, when they, people got angry with them, they rejoiced. When, when people uh, rebuked them, they prayed and they worshipped God. All of this wasn't about what was happening, it was about what was to come. They were worshiping, they were praising God for what was coming down the road. God's promise. 
But the people of Israel and Egypt, they had a promise of a deliverer, someone who was going to come and, and bring them home, right? To take them to the promised land. And for us, the church, we have a promised land too. Revelation chapter 11 describes that day when Jesus returns to take us to be with him. Describes the day, what it will be like when Jesus comes to take the church to be in that promised land with him. To deliver us from evil. To take us away from our Egypt. My question for us today is, do you believe that? Do you believe the promises of Jesus, of God in Scripture? While we, we certainly care about, I certainly care about you being involved in the life of your church, it's not about, <clears throat> your involvement here is not about you being a better person. You're coming to worship, it's not so that you can have a happier marriage. All those things might be benefits of it, but the question is about you believing in the God who created the universe, who loved you enough to put you in it. That's the question. The God who, who loves you and wants to spend eternity with you, do you believe it? Do you believe that, that it's because of sin that you've been separated from God? I mean, it feels like sin just comes natural to you. But, but the reality is, it does. <laughs> and Jesus came to set it right, to bring forgiveness for that sin. It seems unavoidable, and it is. And that's why he died on the cross. That by believing in him and his work on that cross, that believing in his life, death, and resurrection, we could have eternal life. We could be healed and restored and renewed and experience a transforming of our minds in this moment. That we can see our present as more than just what it is. Do you believe that? Does your life look like you believe that? Or does it look like this is all it is, so I better get all I can while I can? Which is it? And if, you're, if you go back and forth, well, what does that mean? If you go back and forth. Remember, your beliefs will determine your behavior. That's a lot. And we're two verses in, so let me, let me get back into this. Verse 19. He dealt treacherously. This is, he is the, the king of Egypt, right? He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw their newborn babies so that they would die. At the time, at that time, Moses was born. He was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. Hey, this king mistreated the Israelites. If you remember the story from the Exodus, that uh, the, the uh, I can't think of the word, ladies who help give birth. Uh, thank midwives. Thank you. Uh, they would come in and they would help. Uh, or they would, they would make sure that the, the children being born were, would die. But Moses, but Moses somehow was, he missed all that. <laughs> or they missed him. <clears throat> they, did, they were doing this because the, the Jews were beginning to outnumber the Egyptians. And they didn't want to, be, they didn't want to have a revolt. So they decided that the easier way is to kill them. <clears throat> so Moses slips through this, this death net that's coming. Maybe God's hand was tipping the scale, making sure that his promise would be true. Moses, the Israelites in Egypt, Stephen in Jerusalem, they were all trusting in God's providential power. This, is, this idea of God's providence is something we don't really like much. Because it just means, you know, if, 
the biblical definition in my Bible dictionary says, the governing power of God that oversees his creation and works out his plans for it. God's providential power does things sometimes that we don't like. Sometimes we would rather avoid that, but God says, that's, that's just the way it's got to be. I mean, death? Yeah, I'd, I'd rather we not have to experience death. Disease? I don't want that. But God says, oh, it, it shouldn't be, but you know what? I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it for my good and my glory. That word providence is what's happening there in Egypt. And just like in our world. There's a, in our world, there's a, there's a bit of opposition to the things of God. Would you, would you agree? Would, do you feel that? Do you feel like the, the ways of the world are kind of opposed to your beliefs? Yeah, it, it was no different back then. It was, and it's, it's never been any different. Why? Because sin. And yet, God has been at work in all of it. In the moment, it may not seem like he is. For the disciples, for Stephen, I'm, I don't know how Stephen felt. But, but for people watching it, Christians watching it, they were probably thinking, where is God? He's got to let him go. He's got to set him free. But regardless, the disciples of Jesus chose to live through really tough situations. Because if his promises are true, if his power is real, then what else can I cling to? Right? I mean, if, his, if God's promises are true, if his power is real like I, be, I truly believe it is, then God can do anything he wants. Even in my misery, even in my suffering, even in my problems, God can do what he wants. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in James 5, 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. This, this, I love this passage of Scripture, especially this time of the year because it's, springtime is right around the corner. Springtime is coming, right? So you're probably like me. You're, you're starting to get the garden ready, right? Any, any gardeners are getting ready? No? Come on now. Okay, a couple of you are bold enough to say, yeah, I'm, I'm like out there. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. I'll come back tomorrow. Because <laughs> it's, not, it's not time yet, but oh, man, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about now the, the, the fresh produce and the, man, some fried squash and, and all this of the berries that I'm going to pick. Oh, man, I'm thinking about it. I'm going to go and work in it this afternoon because because I tell myself this year is going to be different. This year, I'm not going to get caught up in the weeds. This year, I'm actually going to tend the garden. This year, I'm going to pull those weeds when I go out there. Like, everything's going to, like this. Right now, I'm filled with hope. You know what I mean? I'm looking forward to it. But one part of gardening, one part of farming, one part of raising all my berries that, that I have no control over is the timing of the crop. I can't do much about that. Like, I can, I can plant the seed. I can put some water down. I can fertilize it. I can do all those things. But I can't snap my fingers and have some fresh squash. I can't. I mean, it comes pretty quick. And when it comes, oh my Lord, it doesn't stop coming. But I can't make it happen tomorrow, which I would love to have some. It's easy to trust God for the fruit when you think about it that way. It's easy for the farmer to trust the fruit because he has no choice, right? He has no option. And when it's easy in situations like that, when it's easy to trust God... Faith is easy. But when it's hard, oh, goodness, Lord, increase my faith. The soldier said. We need faith when it's hard. Now, I mean, we need it when it's easy too, but we really need it when it's hard to come by. 
So how can we tr make trusting God easy and denying Him hard? How can we reverse those? I think a big part of it is staying engaged in our faith. Staying engaged in our faith, even when it seems like everything is great. When we want to just kick back and enjoy what God's doing, we need to lean in. That's the time to lean in to what God is doing, not just wait until it gets hard, but when it's good, when it's easy, when it's easy, lean in. I mean, because I know for me, when, when it's easy, I tend to kick back and I get caught up in my own thoughts and, and my own ideas when I need to be leaning into the Lord in that moment. When it's time to sprint, that's when I need to be ready to sprint. His plan. I've, I come up with all these reasons why his plan's not going to work out in the hard times. That's because I haven't run into his plans in the good times, when it's easy. I haven't leaned in then. And so when it gets dry, I look for excuses. I look for reasons why this won't work, why, that, why I can't do that. Trusting and waiting doesn't mean to just sit by. It means be engaged. Trusting and waiting are active words in Scripture. There are things we are called to do. Jump back into verse 22 of Acts chapter 7. Moses, while he's waiting, while he is in this season of, of growing up, these first 40 years, he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Moses was an active agent in God's plan, right? Moses was engaged in it. While he waited, while he trusted, he took part in this preparation that God was doing. And remember, they had been promised a deliverer. And Moses is starting to think, with this miraculous birth I had, maybe I'm the one. Maybe I'm the one. No one else got by like me. Maybe I'm the one. Exodus tells us that his mom would, after he was born, you know, he was put in the basket and floated down the river, and, and they went and got his mom to come and nurse him while he, while he grew up. So it's, it's reasonable to expect that mom wasn't just a, a wet nurse for the next couple of years of his life, but, but she actually was there to, to nurse him as a child, all throughout his childhood. It's pretty reasonable to expect that Moses had his mom and, and, Israel, and Jewish slaves around him the first 10, 12 years of his life. Raising him. He received along the way the best in training, the best in education that the Egyptian world could offer. And he's putting these two together. My, my history as a Jew and my identity as an Egyptian. How does this fit? And he submits to God's preparation through all this. That's the word for us. To submit to what God is trying to do in our lives. Instead of seeing your circumstances as something that you need to get out of, something to escape, something to regret, instead of seeing it as a mistake, how can you seek God's hand in it? How can you pursue God's hand in the midst of it? How can you lean in in that? I'm bad about this. I pray for my kids' safety a lot. I do. And... and, and I, and it's not bad to pray for my kids' safety. <laughs> let me back that up because this is being recorded. So let me, let me make sure I don't get that out there. It's okay to pray for your kids' safety, but that shouldn't be the primary prayer for our children, right? But I, I realize that after I pray and I'm done and I think about it, no, 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 what I need is for them to see God. And sometimes, because I know it in my life and you probably know it in your life, sometimes you see God the clearest when there's a little bit of risk, when there's a little bit of danger. 
guess who's still there? God, right? So I, I, I trained myself. Don't, don't just pray for their safety. Don't just pray for their safety. But sh pray that they would recognize God's hand moving in their life. And that's what we see in the next 40 years of Moses' life, is him, him realizing this very truth. Verse 23, when Moses was 40 years old, so we passed 40, here we are in the second 40, we're entering in. He decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. See, Moses thought that he, he had a feeling that I'm the one. But they didn't see it in this. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you the ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me? as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. All that Moses has gone through up to this point, I mean, the, the 40 years of his life, I mean, he had to understand. I mean, he knew that, that he was special. He knew that, that his, the call on his life was different than everybody else. He understood because of his training, justice, and right versus wrong. He knew all those things. So when he saw what was wrong, he stepped into it. He thought, this is the moment. This is my time. The problem was, Moses took it upon himself to do that. He took things literally into his own hands. He wanted to deliver God's people his way. And how did it work out? Not well, right? Not well. The Israelites rejected him. The very people he wanted to help, the people he wanted to rescue, they rejected him. And Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So he ran away. He ran away. One thing I've learned every time I've run from God in my life, that I can't outrun him. That, that in my running from him, he wasn't running from me. Right? And a matter of fact, he didn't shy away from my sin, from my failure. He didn't shy away from my shame, my regret. He didn't shy away from the mistakes I had made, from the hole that I had dug for myself. He didn't, he didn't shy away from any of that. Matter of fact, when I stopped for a moment, bam, he was there, and I realized it. I realized it in that moment. My failure, my embarrassment, my guilt, none of it could keep him away. Every time, God walked right into the mess I had made and said, I'm still here. I still love you. I still have a, a better life planned for you than you can plan for yourself. Every time God created, God, the creator of the universe walked into my mess and said, okay, now what? Like, now what are you going to do? Now, now what's, your, what's your plan now? You got, you got yourself this far. What's next? Almost to encourage me to to keep going. And this is, this is Moses' 40-year, okay, now what moment? That he took it into his own hands to be the deliverer without God equipping him, without God sending him. And now here he is. Okay, now what? God humbles him. 
God humbles him in this moment. For Moses to believe, all, Moses has had the opportunity after opportunity to believe all the things that we've talked about. He's, he's known God's promises. He's had opportunity to realize God's promises, to, to understand God's providence in the world and, and to be a part of that, to be, to be prepared for the ministry that God has put before him, that the call on his life that he knew that he had. But in the moment when the heat got turned up, he thought he was the point. He thought he was the point. And he missed his purpose. And because he missed it, the nation of Israel suffered for another 40 years. Increasingly suffered, the scripture says. See, Moses wasn't the point. He wasn't God's plan. God, God's plan was God's plan. Like, and Moses took it upon himself to be the, the deliverer. When God says, no, I wanted to deliver through you. I want you to be a part of my plan. You're, you're not the plan. I am. It's easy for us to get that mixed up sometimes when it seems just so obvious. This is the time. This is the moment when I need to step into it. it seems so obvious, isn't it? Have you ever been there? When it just everything seems to be lining up? And no, not. Not the what I thought it was. Remember when I began, I, wanted to, I gave you a reminder that this isn't a yes or no, a black and white thing. This is a, this is a, a scale of obedience. This is a scale of following, of discipleship. In our lives, faith plays at some, in some moments really clear outcomes. In other moments, it's not so clear. It's more of a role player in our lives. My purpose today, though, is to move you forward. To move you from wherever you are today to trust him a little more. To lean into him a little more. There's a football game later on today. And as part of that, at the end, the announcers, it's probably the second half, the announcers are going to be talking about one or two of the players who really stand out, who really step up to the moment, right? And they're going to, at the end of the game, they'll, they'll award one of them the Player of the Year Award. He'll get a brand new, I think it's a GMC Denali truck. It'll be all fancied out. And he'll get an all expenses paid to Disney World. And, and oh, man, they'll make a big to-do over the Player of the Year. And sometimes we feel like we have to be the Player of the Year to, for God to Celebrate us, for God to be honored. But I just want to encourage you not to allow yourself to be put up there. Don't allow yourself to be put up there as the player of the, of the game. Allow your faith, the one that you put your faith in, to be the thing that matters. To lean into the truth that does shape the very way that we live. Our faith. Our faith determines how we behave. It determines how we live our lives. Leaning into God with, will shape our thoughts and our reactions to all the things that, that life bring at us this week. It'll determine how we react to the people that, oh man, they get under my skin. But because I love Jesus, no, they're not. I'm not allowing Satan to do that to me. I'm not allowing that. We're going to speak into it. We're going to live out of faith. We're going to live out of faith. And, and no matter what, how, how hard things get, how much, oh, there they are again. Nope. Doesn't matter to that person. Ride your bumper all the way back to Chestertown. It doesn't matter how the other people do. We're not going to respond. We're going to respond. We're going to trust in God. We're going to trust that he is sovereign, that he can do anything, that all I have to do is be faithful, even in the moments when it's hard, but especially in the moments when it's easy. When things are good, when things are going my way, I'm going to run with it because it's time to sprint. 
There are times when I got to settle back in and, and dig some foundation. But, but when it's easy, I'm going to sprint. Because I know that at the end of that sprint is going to come something hard. And I need a foundation. I need my faith to be strong. So no matter what you face this week, good times or bad, lean in. Don't give up. Don't give up. Lean in. Hang on. Be Stand fast. Trusting His plan, His purpose, His providence. That He has good things in store for you. Church, disciple, He can't wait to give them to you. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for what you're doing. Lead us, Lord, as we seek to be faithful disciples of you and your son, Jesus. Shape us, God, for your glory. We love you. Amen. Amen. We have a closing hymn. If you would please stand and join us. What a friend that we have in Jesus.